Warning, this episode includes topics of murder, extreme violence, racism, and an uncomfortable situation involving young children. Listener discretion is advised, especially for young children. Urban legends have to come from somewhere. And so I think, like, I'm not saying that these urban legends exactly happened word for word, but they were definitely based off of something. And then that something like maybe influences the story and then the story gets passed around and the energy in the story feeds and then it like re like it happens again. Some of the most iconic horror movies in cinematic history are actually based on a true story. And in this podcast, me, Yeshu Pasani, a paranormal believer, and me, Arvind Raghunathan, a skeptic. Dive deep into the true stories these movies are based on and argue whether there really was a supernatural presence or not. And in this season, we're setting out to answer the question of whether humans consciously open themselves up to the paranormal, or if all they're feeling is paranoia. Join us on this journey as we discover what's behind the story. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Story. I'm one of your hosts, Yeshu Pasni, the paranormal believer here to prove that the supernatural is real. And I'm Arvogunathan, your other host and skeptic who's going to disprove everything Yeshvi says because the paranormal is not real. If this is the first episode of ours that you're listening to, then welcome. This is a podcast where we talk about the true stories that inspired famous horror movies. And we have a very interesting episode for you today. As you've seen from the title, we're going to be talking about the true story behind Candyman. But wait, isn't Candyman an urban legend? How can there be a true story? Well, it is an urban legend, but that doesn't mean that there isn't something to talk about. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the case that loosely inspired Candyman, the actual legend itself, and some examples of urban legends that actually came true. But while we're here, let's get something out of the way. We're not going to be talking about all of the urban legends or even some of the most famous ones, and I'm specifically talking about the Slenderman case here. We're not going to be talking about that terrible dude because, frankly, we don't want to, and it's just a little bit too dark for our liking. Now that that's out of the way, let's talk about the movie Candyman. The original Candyman came out in 1992 and it starred Tony Todd, Virginia Madsen, and more. And it followed a woman named Helen who finds out about the Candyman legend, and after summoning him, begins to feel like the urban legend is more than a fake story. Last year, in 2021, the kind of sequel to Candyman was released, and it starred Yaya Abdul-Mateen II, Tony Todd, and more. The sequel continued the story of Candyman, but it followed a different character from the original and their own experiences with the urban legend. The original Candyman made $25.8 million, while the one that came out last year made $77.4 million. And let me tell you guys, it's an absolutely incredible movie, a definitely must-watch horror movie, okay? And so, last season, we tried to answer questions about whether the paranormal was even real, and whether it was something that we could just summon on a whim. But this season, we're deciding, we've decided that we're going to figure out whether humans open themselves up to these supposed hauntings. And if there's no such thing as ghosts and demons, then what are we being haunted by? Was the haunting real, or was the reason behind the haunting avoidable? Those are what we're trying to figure out this season. Now, before we get on with the episode, we hope you make sure that you're following us on our social media accounts, at Behind the Story on Instagram and Twitter, with a period between the INN on Instagram, and an underscore between the INN for Twitter. And leave us a message on our Anchor.fm website with anything you would like us to know. Lastly, this season we are donating all the funds we make to Planned Parenthood in order to help ensure that women all over the country have a basic right to choose what they want to do with their body with no one else interfering. And now, let's learn about the case of Ruthie McCoy. 
Now, people believe that the 1992 Candyman film was inspired by the story of Ruthie McCoy. And while her devastating case is not going to be the main focus of this episode, I think it's important to still talk about it. Ruthie McCoy was an underprivileged Black woman who grew up in the south side of Chicago. She suffered from many undiagnosed mental illnesses, one of these being residual types of schizophrenia, and all of these illnesses prevented her from being able to keep a stable job. In 1983, McCoy was checked into public housing homes, which was near the building that was used to film the 1992 version of Candyman. There are some things I'd like to stress about her case. She was mistreated because of the lack of awareness when it came to her mental health, and she was trying to get out of the bad situation that she was in. McCoy had received approval for supplementary security income that she was going to use to help her growing debt and move out of the South Side. On April 22, 1987, the Chicago PD received a phone call from McCoy. She was frantic and crying about people who were coming in through her bathroom to attack her. A police car was dispatched to go and see what happened. There's no way to put this better, but out of sheer negligence and probably classism and racism, after seeing the address where McCoy lived, the police who took her 911 call didn't record it as a break-in and instead wrote it down as a disturbance. When police got to her house, they knocked on the door and received no answer. Instead of going in and checking out the situation, they just left. The next day, they received calls from McCoy's neighbors who were concerned about her since she normally greeted them in the mornings and she wasn't there. When the police finally went inside the house, they found a tragic scene. McCoy was found in her bedroom, shot multiple times, and lying in a pool of her own blood. The room was trashed and the medicine cabinet in the bathroom was in pieces. Now, while the movie might have been inspired by Ruthie McCoy's story, especially about the part of the break-in by bathroom scenario, it was actually inspired by, you guessed it, an urban legend. In the movie, the legend goes as this. There's an African-American man named Daniel Rabatale, a former slave who, after the Civil War, became a successful shoemaker. But he's got a passion for art, and while trying to establish himself as a painter, he gets a job to paint Caroline Sullivan, a white woman, and the two fall in love. When Caroline gets pregnant, her father sends a lynch mob to cut off Daniel's right hand and covers his body in honey, which attracts a swarm of bees that sting him to death. Vengeful and angry, Daniel's ghost, with a hook in her place of his hand, will appear behind you if you look in a mirror and say Candyman five times. Clive Barker, an American writer, wrote a series of short stories, one of which was about Candyman. But his version of the story is quite different, and this happened long ago, and I'm talking like 1900s long ago. The greatest difference between his Candyman and the one that we've seen in the movies is that for him, Candyman was actually a white man with blonde hair and a, blonde hair and a pale face. This Candyman terrorizes people in the slums of England by the whole repeating Candyman in a mirror situation. But this whole legend sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? Especially about the whole part about having to say something in a mirror. Segway transition to actual historical facts and the urban legend of probably one of the most notorious urban slash suburban legends of all time and that is of everyone's favorite bloody mary but let's do a curious historical footnote first the actual name bloody mary is the nickname given to england's first queen to rule on her own right mary the first of england she was famous for reversing her father's anti-catholic policies and actively persecuting protestants burning nearly 300 people at the stake earning her the name bloody mary but now let's segue back to the urban legend. We don't actually know where the urban legend originated, but if I had to guess a place, I would guess that it probably came somewhere in England because everything comes from England. Individuals or groups can summon Bloody Mary by standing in front of a mirror with the lights all out, lighting a single candle, spinning three times in front of the mirror, and then chanting Bloody Mary three times. 
Allegedly, the apparition of Bloody Mary appears in the mirror, and she can reach out and curse, strangle, scratch the people on the other side of the mirror. And sometimes people even believe that she could steal their soul. Ouch. Now, that's the version of Bloody Mary that I personally grew up with, but there's versions all over the world. The point is, it's a creepy sleepover story that effectively traumatizes children and did give me many a nightmare. But let's talk about where urban legends come from as a concept. Urban legends are stories that come from folklore, and they circulate throughout the world by people retelling them. Urban legends are your average stories with plots and characters, but they can be used as cautionary tales or stories to inspire terror in your friends. But technology has changed the way that urban legends were spread, and now people might get some quite threatening warnings in their phones, emails, and social media accounts. I'm sure you guys have some idea what I'm talking about when you get a spam email that's somewhere along the lines of, send this to 14 people or also get hit by a car tomorrow, or send this to 10 people to have a good day. And some of these can be actual urban legends with a story attached to an email that tells an insanely grotesque story about what happens to a person who doesn't send this email to 14 people. The United States Department of Energy used to have a service called Hoaxbusters, though it's now disbanded, and its whole focus was to literally cl- like clear out these chain emails that people would get that were distributed by computers. So all these hoaxes and legends would have to be reported to this service, and they would go in and make sure that this wasn't happening to people anymore. It's quite fascinating. I really recommend looking into it. And now, before we go to Arvin's part, let's take a quick break and hear about our sponsor. Okay, now, of course, we all know urban legends are fake. Sorry, Ashri. But what do I mean by this? I don't mean that they're totally all false. I just mean that they're blown out of proportion. I mean, you can look at the name and see. Legend, a traditional story sometimes popularized and regarded as historical but unauthenticated. That's the exact definition from dictionary.com right there. So why do people think urban legends are true? It's because of the emotional element. The fear and the thrill it gives people that makes you get goosebumps and makes the mind think that what they're talking about is real. Now, many legends start out as truths that get carried away from this emotion and become thrillers further than where they started. After all, both of the main urban legends associated with Candyman have an extremely reasonable explanation behind them. The whole hookman scratching a car in the middle of the night while, you know, your, while your car broke down or something. Come on, we all know it's a tree branch. You don't need to blow it out of proportion. I get it. It's scary sitting in the dark in your car broken. I, I definitely agree with that. There is no hookman outside of your car. He, if there was, he would break your window and kill you. Come on. Come on. He's not scratching your car, getting his hook stuck on your do- door, and then leaving. Anyways, I'm getting too off topic here. The window one. <laughs> the window one. This is very much so a ripoff of Bloody Mary, as Yeshi said. But even then, both these legends can be explained by a quote from an article in adamtickets.com that I found. Researchers in Italy studied the phenomenon in the 2000s and discovered that staring into a mirror in a dimly lit room for prolonged periods of time can actually cause a person to hallucinate. The effects are much like being on a bad acid trip, where one's reflection appears to melt, distort, and spin. Other hallucinations such as animalistic or unearthly faces appearing in the mirror can happen. Explanations have ranged from a temporary disassociative identity to the effect of optical illusions of troxlers fading to unintentional self-hypnosis. Regardless, there is scientific basis for seeing strange apparitions when you stare long enough into the mirror of a darkened room. 
the folklore of La Llorona, sorry if I said that wrong, that exists in Spanish-speaking culture has overlapping similarities to that of Bloody Mary, despite a different story of origin. It's said you can summon La Llorona, also known as the Weeping Woman or the Woman in White in America, by pl- placing red candles in a darkened room of mirrors and chanting her name. La Llorona's story is more tragic than the ruthless B- Bloody Mary, however, and has existed in some form for centuries. While there are variations, the gist of it involves a young Mexican woman named Maria who marries a rich man and they have two children. Their relationship eventually deteriorates with him lavishing attention on their children while ignoring her. One day, she sees him in town with another woman and she drowns her children in a fit of grief and rage and jealousy. She immediately realizes what she's done and tries to save them, but it's too late. Now she's cursed, spending the rest of her days as a relentless spirit who wanders up and down near bodies of water and wails for her lost children. Many folklorists view her as the embodiment of grief. It was all too common for mothers centuries ago to lose their children at extremely young ages, life expectancy being as short as it was back then. It also captures the horror we feel about the instances of mothers, such as Andrea Yates murdering their children. It's the ultimate perversity of nature, and we recoil from it. Now we understand that the postpartum depression is real, and can be intense and prolonged, as as is schizophrenia, but centuries ago people had no explanations for a mother who might suddenly snap and kill her children. And this fully explains how the legend has evolved to what it is today, showing how urban legends are often started from real feelings or thoughts at their time, but due to a need for thrill and suspense, are changed and told until they become more like a piece of fiction. Okay, all right. I appreciate that you brought up the case of Yarona. Um, I was going to, solely because, if you search the hunt for Yarona on YouTube, the amount of videos you have of, like, 20-something-year-old millennial ghost hunters who are running around in the dark, like, trying to find a crying woman is, like, quite funny. Like, no disrespect to the YouTube, like, ghost hunting game. You know, I I appreciate your grind, but it's so funny. And, like, the complicated thing about Yarona is that, like, she isn't seen everywhere. So if you're going to go and try to hunt for her, like, what, are you just going to go everywhere? Um... (laughs) And there is there is no evidence that she is real, or else, of course, I would have included her. And that was my very successful transition to talking about urban legends that are kind of true. And you'll get what I mean by that. We're starting off with something that was called the Puebla Tunnels. So in southeast Mexico, folktales are told of a mysterious network of tunnels hidden beneath the city. These have been told for centuries as ghost stories to keep children within their parents' eyes and, you know, threaten them if they didn't finish their dinner, that they would be thrown into the tunnels. But in 2015, a construction crew in southeast Mexico actually discovered a tunnel beneath the city and upon further investigation found six miles of tunnels underneath it. That's pretty cool. That is really cool. It reminds me of the catacombs in Paris almost. Yeah, that is. Oh, here's I we're having a lot of footnotes today. It's a, it's a day of fun facts. Um, <laughs> I don't know if any of you guys have ever watched the horror movie um, as far above. So below far above. So below something along the lines of that. It is on Netflix last time I checked. Um, it is filmed in the Paris catacombs, but it's like actually filmed in the Paris catacombs. And I'm not exactly Damn. sure if that's true, but I read a, like a couple weeks ago that it was like one of the only movies that they have 
like authorized for them to film in the actual Paris catacombs, which I thought was just very interesting. And I feel like somebody should probably film a movie now in these Puebla tunnels. And maybe I shouldn't have said that out loud. Maybe we should be the ones that are filming this movie. Yeah, if anyone gets ideas from this, you know where we are. Give us credit. Yeah, yeah. We get credit or we get directorial slash writing like privileges. Okay, thank you. Leave us a message on our Anchor.fm website and we'll listen to it. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, isn't it trippy? Because they didn't know that there were these tunnels until 2015 and they've been telling these stories forever. That's probably just, I feel like that's a thing that's just like a generational, like whoever, whatever generation was first digging these tunnels just told their kids like, if you disbehave, I'm throwing you in these damn tunnels. And then they told their kids, I'm gonna throw you in the tunnels and it just kept going on. How did they know there were tunnels? Because they didn't dig them up till 2015. Well, that's when the construction crew did, but maybe, like, their great-great-great-great-great-grandparents actually dug the tunnel in the first place. What do you think they used the tunnel for? Maybe it was similar to the catacombs for dead bodies. Maybe. I mean, there's, like, that... This is There's a major conspiracy theory that there's, like, tunnels that run underneath, like, all of the United States. Like, it's a deeply fascinating conspiracy theory, and it's, like, it's full... It's, like, very fledged out. Like, we live quite close to D.C., um, and there is another conspiracy theory that there's like tunnels underneath the White House and they go to like all of the major Capitol buildings. And like, that's how these politicians would meet in secret. And, you know, maybe there's probably an urban legend about that out there. So it probably turned much darker. And I don't know, the president was revealed to be an alien or something like who knows. But probably. <laughs> okay, next one was a famous Japanese urban legend, and it revolves around a series of killings that allegedly happened between 1999 to 2005. All of these murders were connected by a single playing card found next to the bodies with the word Alice on them. And then, in 2003, a serial killer left playing cards next to his victim, and he was caught in Spain and sentenced to 142 years in prison. Now, as far as I know... This serial killer had no idea about the urban legend. Like, he wasn't trying to fulfill it or anything like that. Um, and like I said earlier, this urban legend kind of, ha- like, came to life in 1999, pre this man starting to murder people. Well, what if he did back then? He just wasn't going to admit it. He, we, they caught him in 2003. That's four years of difference. You see, he's been murdering people since 1999, and we just don't know. I think he just killed people in 1999. Okay. That's fun. All right. That's, that's, that's also, nice. serial killers are quite messed up. So if he did get his inspiration from someone, he probably wouldn't want to admit it. Because he's probably, like, in a way, proud of his work. That's a valid point. That's a valid I, point. I read this book. It's called I Hunt Killers. I got so much insight into serial killers from it. Y'all should read it. I just, I mean, most of my serial killer knowledge comes from Criminal Minds. So, and, and like the two serial killer podcasts that I just keep listening to on the bus. And it's like oh that God. same thought where it's like, like, that's the time when you like double check or not double check, like you quadruple check that your AirPods are plugged in because <laughs> it's like, you don't want to be like listening to something and then not have it plugged in and everybody can just hear oh your God. little, your favorite podcast host who's just like the, you know, the Ken and Barbie murderers. <laughs> and, and like, so that's not, it's not a fun, fun thing to hear about. Okay, moving on. <laughs> uh, the next urban legend is one of a man slash thing named Cropsy in Staten Island, New York. And it has terrorized the children of the area for years. Allegedly, Cropsy is an axe murderer or a boogeyman. 
or a monster or a who knows a what that attacks children in the abandoned Willowbrook State School. Horrifically, Cropsey was an actual person, only he was named Andrew Rand, and he worked as a janitor at the Willowbrook State School before it shut down in 1987. He kept living on school grounds after it was shut down and was responsible for the disappearances of several children. He was found guilty of kidnapping, though, in 1988 and again in 2004. And oh, this boy. one is just so scary. Like, yeah, um, schools background check. Yeah, for real, please. That would be much appreciated. Okay. We're ending with one final one. Well, kind of a final one. I have something else I want to talk about, but you'll you'll see when we get there. Um, and it's quite interesting. It brings a little bit of that supernatural paranormal flair to it. So for years, people in Switzerland will tell stories about a figure who they call Le Loyon. Sorry if I mispronounced that. So this figure walks throughout the mallless forest wearing camouflage and a gas mask and has been seen by a couple eyewitnesses, but there was no real evidence that claimed that this thing was real. Le Leon was kind of like Bigfoot in that sense. However, in 2013, a pedestrian captured a picture of Le Leon wearing the camouflage and gas mask, and it freaked people out. Now, I think it's important to note that Le Leon was not, like, dangerous or attacking people or whatever, but it's just something that's really creepy, the idea that some giant man monster person is walking around in camouflage and a gas mask in the woods is enough to make your screen crawl but months after this picture was taken hikers in the mallless forest found the gas mask and camouflage coat in the woods with no trace of Lei Loyon around that's scary that is scary I mean that's just like Bigfoot the abominable snowman but for Switzerland but for Switzerland the, they just needed that, their own. Right. Urban legends have to come from somewhere. The only thing I can think of, and this is like, we're making a lot of references in, in one episode. So really, we're just we're doing a lot in this season, guys. It's really exciting. Um, the only thing I can ever think of when I think of urban legends is, I don't know if you guys have ever seen, uh, ever seen this show. I love it. It's called Once Upon a Time. It's a completely fiction show that oh has no horror elements elements in it at all but it's a beautiful show the only i'm bringing it up because there's a character in that show in the first season and he says something where he's like talking about this book of fairy tales and the our main lead is like they're only fairy tales they're not real and he goes well you read books in history right like what were those on they were real stories have to come from somewhere and so that has always stuck with me and so i think like i'm not saying that these urban legends exactly happened word for word, but they were definitely based off of something. And then that something like maybe influences the story and then the story gets passed around and the energy in the story feeds and then it like re like it happens again. Okay. I can, I can definitely agree with that. There was some, something that probably caused a story to appear in the first place and it was just taken out of proportion. Like, if we're if we go all the way back to Candyman, the, the whole thing we were talking about from the top, obviously we we well we know it comes from Bloody Mary. Bloody Mary could come from a numerous amount of things, and it just got blown out of proportion like crazy to the point where we have a serial killer with a hook scratching on your car door to try to murder you. Right. I mean, I do gotta say though that is probably my favorite urban legend of all time: the hook-handed man. That is a good urban legend. And for those of you who don't know it, here's the briefest summary in the world. 
it's like this I think they were like a couple and yeah. they're driving on this dark foresty road and in classical urban legend fashion the car breaks down and so the guy is like oh I'm gonna go up the road and I'm gonna like find a, like a gas station or something and then in also classic urban legend fashion the girl like stays in the car which I never <laughs> understood because like who is gonna take the car like, yeah you didn't need to stay there but she stays in the car and on the drive up though they were listening to like I don't know NPR or something and like there was on the news report there was like warning this hook-handed man has escaped from the asylum you know be careful he's dangerous and so she's in this car and it's a dark and stormy night and she like hears scratches on the roof of her car and scratches on the door and scratches on the window and she gets really freaked out and then eventually the her boyfriend or whatever comes back and he like brought a spare tire or oil or whatever they needed and they go back home and when they get back home they leave the car and on the handle of the girl side of the car is a hook it's a it's a magnificent story it's really it's really compelling if you haven't read it go read it i it's much better told than me telling it to you um and it's truly a beautiful story arvin do you have a favorite urban legend no but i have a least favorite and you know exactly what it is what's your least favorite the watcher the i made up the watcher though the i know that's still, I still is an urban legend okay i wish i could tell you guys the story of the watcher but to be completely honest with you i don't nice. remember it at all arvin but you do i don't remember it entirely i just remember the feeling of terror that it caused me we remember only emotions and no facts. You, no, that was such a bad timing, too. I was home alone for, like, four hours that day, and that's exactly the time you decided to tell me a horror story about a kid who's home alone dying. Right. Well, sometimes scared smart, right? Like, that's the, that's the motto. <laughs> um, but urban legends are very fun. Um, if You guys tell us your favorite urban legends. I feel like... They're regional almost to depending on where you live. Like for an our area, what's the big urban? Like Bloody Mary was a huge urban legend. Yeah, we have a lot. We had a lot of Bigfoot talk because we were, um, you know, like by the mountains. So that was big. Uh, I think those were like our biggest urban legends. But it really, it really big. Oh, we had one about a bunny man, which actually was one of the possible true ones to talk about. Um, but I didn't put it in because it was, like, kind of weird and gross and blah, blah, blah. But uh, we had one that was this, like, bunny man who, like, escaped from an asylum. And he would, like, run around and, like, by this bridge. And he would, like... Oh, I remember. Yeah. He would, like, ki- like kill you and steal your car. And it was, like... <laughs> and they were just, like, I urban legends are just fascinating, man. We hope you enjoyed this episode and leave us a message on our anchor.fm website with anything you would like us to know. If you're listening to this episode on Spotify, you can answer our poll question where you can tell us what your favorite urban legend is. Our next episode is coming out in two weeks and we're going to be bringing it back to some very familiar paranormal investigators and their case in none other than the great state of Connecticut. Make sure to follow us at Behind the Story on Instagram and Twitter with a period between the INN for Instagram and an underscore between the INN for Twitter. And remember, there's always more to uncover behind the story. See you next time.